Everyone, you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. For Marcus Lopez, I'm your host, Larry Smith. Senator Joe Manchin, he crafted this bill called the IRA, and he put a lot of stipulations into it, and he made a spot deal, and we call it the dirty deal, but they want to call it the permitting reform. So it's going to actually gut NEPA, which is the National Environmental Policy Act, and it's going to destroy the Clean Water Act, as well as it's going to really fast-track fossil oil and gas pipelines. And his pet project, which is the MVP, which is running through West Virginia, Virginia, and ultimately North Carolina. Today on American Indian Airwaves, stopping the Mountain Valley Pipeline, a 303-mile natural gas pipeline if constructed, would contribute to the destruction of sacred sites that run through indigenous nations as well as continue the exacerbating problem known as the climate crisis in the 21st century plus more. We'll speak with one of the leading activists regarding the Mountain Valley Pipeline, missing and murdered indigenous women and girls, plus more here on American Indian Airwaves. You can hear when the moon shines bright, the lone through air in the black of the night, you can hear, you can hear the whisper in the valley. Mm-hmm. And you know, when come a cunny blows to the bar who drum, it's the warriors who are marching. On September 8th of 2022, indigenous peoples and allies from Appalachia and elsewhere protested in Washington, D.C. against the Mountain Valley Pipeline. The protest, No Sacrifice Zones, was against the concessions demanded by West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin in the $750 billion Inflation Reduction Act, which will expedite the permitting process by gutting NEPA and destroying the Clean Water Act for the benefit of oil and natural gas line projects, including the construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. The $6.6 billion Mountain Valley Pipeline is a 303-mile fracked gas pipeline spanning from West Virginia to Southern Virginia and potentially into North Carolina in the heart of the Okanichee Band of the Saponi Nation. It is estimated once fully operational, the Mountain Valley Pipeline would transport 2 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day and generate greenhouse gas emissions equivalent to 37 coal plants annually. The Mountain Valley Pipeline is owned by the MVP LLC, which is a joint venture consisting of several oil and gas companies, including EQM Midstream Partners and Next Era Capital Holdings, Con Edison Transmission, to name just a few. 
To date, the Mountain Valley Pipeline developers have amassed more than 300 violations of environmental laws, and they continue working to pressure indigenous peoples, people of color, and poor whites out of their homes and lands in order to acquire those lands for the pipeline's construction. If development continues, indigenous sacred sites, lands, ancestors, and more are at risk for permanent destruction. Despite the Mountain Valley LLC difficulties over the past decade in building the pipeline, this past August 23rd of 2022, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission granted the MVP a four-year extension to complete the project. Our guest for the hour has been at the forefront in trying to protect indigenous people's lands, Mother Earth, and people of color communities in poor rural white communities from the construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck is co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service, chair of the NAACP Environmental Justice Committee, and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. We start on why she and other allies participated this past September 8th, 2022's action in Washington, D.C., Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your show. Um, So we did go to D.C. last week, and it was called Appalachia Comes to D.C. Um, But we really had a lot of the frontline people all across the United States come here, especially black and indigenous people, because we were trying to uplift everybody's fight. Because one, Senator Joe Manchin, he crafted this bill called the IRA, and he put a lot of stipulations into it and he made a side deal and we call it the dirty deal but they want to call it the permitting reform Mm. which is not really i mean they're just trying to pretty up words so it's going to actually gut nepa which is the national environmental policy act and it's going to destroy the clean water act as well as it's going to really fast track fossil oil and gas pipelines and his pet project which is the mvp which is running through west virginia Virginia and ultimately North Carolina, and they're going to eventually port this frat gas off to India. We actually came there to let people know that we don't want to be a sacrifice zone. The main line, we've been fighting it for 10 years. The MVP Southgate, we've been fighting for four and a half. And a lot of media will not cover this, or if they do cover it, they just get talking points from the, the pipeline. They hide the fact that they're going through a lot of ancestral Suwon burial grounds. Mm-hmm. through Monacan ancestral lands, as well as Saponi, Tutelo, and Okanichi lands. And then coming through North Carolina, it's going to go through Lower Star Town, which is right off the Dan River. And it's, a, you know, another Native American burial in town. You know, it's going through our sacred places, um, like Hanging Rock, uh, mm-hmm. really close to Pilot Mountain. Or, um, Joe Miyoki. Yep, Joe Miyoki. But um, a lot of these, People refuse to recognize that these are our sacred places, right, where we go and practice our religion. This is how we practice our religion versus going to just, you know, a Baptist or a Methodist church. You know, some people go to where they feel called to, right? And those places are where we feel called to, mountaintops, highest point, you know, places with nature. That's, you know, it's our relationship with the land and the water. And um, when we try to explain it to them, they these pipeline corporations or even the federal government, they don't get how 
much people are tied to the land and how much death and destruction of land and water really destroys us as human beings because in this world they teach us as being dominion over animals and, and trees and other beings, right? And um, we're just really trying to bring that back to the forefront and remind people that, you know, these things, you know, we don't want to be the extinction of another um, species. And we really have to slow this down because this, again, it's a huge circle. Everything relies on each other from the smallest little ant to the largest, you know, whale in the ocean. All of these things are interconnected together. Um, How we deal with climate adaptation, how we mitigate climate change, even hurricanes, you know, I can't believe we're this far into the hurricane season and we haven't had a hurricane hit North Carolina. Um, Some of these hurricanes are really damaging, but sometimes they replenish our water because right now part of North Carolina is in a drought. And, I mean, it's just changing all over. We get these crazy downpours um, on our farm fields, and they destroy our crops. So, therefore, it's affecting our pocketbooks because we can't go to the market and sell our produce, produce if we don't have any or we can't sell our crops. To like um, you know these big manufacturers who purchase these these crops to you know sell. So we really came there to tell them we're not taking it anymore. We also lobbied Congress, and we were pretty effective. We were able to get about 90 people from West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina to come and lo- lobby senators and House of Representatives people to tell them to say no to this side deal that's going to be voted on by September 30th. So I know a long story, but that's why we came. You, you mentioned uh, a, a lot of things, and, and maybe for our listeners, um, give us a sense of who Mountain Valley Pipeline LLC is as a, a joint venture and how that relates to not just Joe Manchin, because one of the companies um, that's part of this joint venture actually uh, has donated monies to not only Joe Manchin's political campaign over the last five to seven years, but also Chuck Schumer, right? The Democrat from New York. So talk a little bit about who is Mountain Valley Pipeline and how that relates to this ongoing struggle. Right. So Mountain Valley Pipeline, it is made up of several smaller companies. EQM, Equitrans is the number one. But the biggest investor is Next Era. And they have, in just in the last year, donated, I believe, over 300 thousand dollars to joe manchin but i believe they have equally donated that amount to chuck schumer and you know chuck schumer and joe manchin made this side deal without um letting any other senators know and we believe it is like a blood oath and i'm i'm going to tell you i had to get up to speed really quick on how politicians work and you know i thought by watching a couple of like documentaries like this is how this, this is how government should work. No, it is all about who has power, mm-hmm. who can like bend your arms like Tony Soprano, mm-hmm. and then then you have the people who are really being affected by this and hurting. And then you have some junior senators who really don't have political power or political capital at all to influence legislation. So right now, in the Senate, there is not a progressive caucus like they have in the House of Representatives of environmental justice people. So you have maybe two or three senators who are like environmental justice advocates and, you know, are just like, yeah, I'm going to do this. Like Senator Sanders, Bernie Sanders, he is 
it, right? Like he is, he should be leading that. But there's not many other senators who stand up to bullies like Joe Manchin or even Chuck Schumer, because we're seeing that now. Now on the House side, we have Representative Grijalva, who is, oh my gosh, he is a savior. And he has actually been talking about these sacred places and sacred protections you know, for, for a really long time now, even if you go back two years, he was still talking about NEPA, uh, the National Environmental Policy Act, and how President Trump, when he was rolling those protections back, how gutting NEPA would really affect environmental justice communities. And here we are, no less than two years later, seeing it again, but we're seeing it to where Democrats are really supporting it. These same Democrats who were against President Trump in rolling back NEPA, these same Democrats are now like, oh, yeah, it's okay. We'll take these um, fossil fuels, but, you know, we're going to do renewable energy. And, it, you know, people are like, oh, when you have a NEPA process, it holds up energy. What it does is it gives the communities who this, like, pipeline or, or solar or uh, wind turbines, any of those, when, or wood pellet plant, any of those sources, that are going through that community, it gives that community a say-so, right? Right. So you see that they won't put these pipelines or wind turbines in country club estates, but they'll put them in poor indigenous or poor black or brown communities because oftentimes people of that do not have the social economic status to hire an attorney. They are often um, scared to, you know, I guess, fight back. Or they're older, and so oftentimes they don't have, you know, a really good education or understanding to where you can get intimidated by lawyers. Or the money, because litigation like these pipeline companies or wind renewable energy companies, they have millions of dollars, and they can tie you up in litigation for years, and you will ultimately end up losing your land to these people because, you know, they, they, if they want it, they'll take it. And so we really have to... Um, start educating our communities about how we can stand up, but also how we elect people to go into office to represent us because they are supposed to represent us when we can't represent ourselves. And so these people are our voices. And now I'm seeing that this is really a, a career for these, these politicians, like career politicians. That's what these people are, career politicians. They have no ties to the community and they don't represent us. So they, if they don't represent us, they don't know what's going on in our backyard. So I know it's, it's crazy. Like, um, like I'm still just like, I can't believe this. Like, even though I was given this um, racist education about how government works when I was growing up, I can't imagine George Washington and all those people who signed the Constitution. It was like, this is how democracy works. I can't imagine that they are like, oh, yeah, this is how this is working. Because, again, it, it just, it's, that's not how I was taught. Um, and now I'm just seeing all this capitalistic uh, corporate greed and the one percenters. The one percenters are in Congress. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service, chair of the NAACP's Environmental Justice Committee, and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. She's speaking on stopping the Mountain Valley Pipeline if constructed. It's a 303-mile natural gas pipeline that would operate from West Virginia into Southern Virginia and potentially North Carolina. And now back to the interview. And speaking of, you know, the Constitution written by 
you know, white men for white men and property uh, owners. You know, you're you're talking about um, indigenous peoples and you know uh, poor uh, POC folks in rural areas and and that kind of maybe apprehension or lack of resources in uh, fighting uh, the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Um, But what about this idea of free prior informed consent and consultation? Uh, What has that been like? So I will honestly tell you that the process with the Mountain Valley Pipeline Southgate is they send out a mass amount of letters. And I actually read through their 500-page document. And I mean, it is a very technical document. And I got to the part about who they consulted. They sent letters all up and down the East Coast and as far as Oklahoma to all the tribes letting them know that they were putting this pipeline through. And then they put, like, who responded, who didn't respond. And so that was their consultation, right? Right. Our tribe did not get a letter because at that time I was an elected tribal councilwoman mm-hmm. for my tribe, the Okanichi Band of the Sikoni Nation. And we didn't get any letters saying that there was a pipeline coming through. Matter of fact, we only knew about the ACP, and it wasn't until I had a constituent who was in my um, tribal community email me and ask, like, had I heard about this pipeline coming through? And when I researched it, there was only one article that was out of a newspaper in Virginia. And when I started to dig into it, I found out that there was a pipeline coming through. And it has been a really difficult process. Um, The pipeline and FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory or Regulation Commission or Committee, Mm -hmm. they really do not engage with state-recognized tribes. If you're only federal, they will recognize you. But at that time, um, the Monica Nation in Virginia, they were going through the process of becoming federally recognized through the Thomasina E. Jordan Act. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't consult them at all. So none of the tribes in Virginia were consulted. The pipeline companies really didn't care. And so... There was a environmental agency called the Blue Ridge Environmental Defense League who contracted um, the Cheyenne River Sioux Tribe, and they hired them to come out and do a archaeological survey on these burial mounds in Bent Mountain in um, in close to Roanoke, Virginia. And uh, they found out that these were ancestors; these were Suwon burial mounds, and they were like, "Yeah, these are these are our mounds. This is how we buried our people." And so Virginia, DEQ, and FERC were like, well, there's no more Indians or American Indians in Virginia. So, you know, that's just, they all died out. And so that is how the state of Virginia looks at people who are not federally recognized, that we are extinct. So that's very problematic. So we didn't get um, free prior informed consent. Mm -hmm. They didn't consult with us. And so two tribes were, they hired this firm called the Cultural Heritage Partners. They hired them to represent them, and so they were able to engage into consultation. And those two tribes actually took a million-dollar settlement from the pipeline company. Um, However, when I reached out to the Cultural Heritage Partners to ask them, like, well, why are you not talking to my tribe, or why are you not talking to these other tribes that's in the area of this pipeline, they wouldn't even engage. So the the lawyers would not engage with the local um, community. They wouldn't even talk to me about it. And so I'm just like, this is crazy. So, again, they bought their silence, so they bought the tribal government silence to not oppose the pipeline. But, again, that doesn't represent the people because the people were black and indigenous 
in um, marginalized white communities like poor white farmers mm-hmm. that this pipeline company was affecting. Um, and my husband and I, we actually did a, um, a seven-week organizing pipeline walk, and we, we had 100 people that walked like four-mile increments of the pipeline, and we did a, a canvassing and door-knocking to just let people who were not directly affected know that a pipeline was coming through. There were so many people who didn't even know that there was a pipeline coming in the area. They had an air compressor station that was being built, and they didn't know that their health was being impacted. That is how these pipeline companies are sneaky. Now, on that walk, we were intimidated by the police after the police knew that we were doing this pipeline route because we called and asked that we have to get permits, and they they just told us as long as we didn't impede traffic. But um, they called and harassed us. They came and harassed us. And then after the police left, the um, pipeline workers who were like the security for the pipeline, Mm. they continued to follow us and try to intimidate us. We had two children, two small children who were under the age of 10, almost get run over by their security. Um, They followed us down a dirt road to the Bannister River where we were having a water ceremony and was like spinning their tires, kicking up rocks, trying to intimidate us. And we had uh, several elders and children and women. And so, I mean, it's just a lot of intimidation tactics. So, you know, if they were doing that to us, what did they do to the people in the community? And so we really had to um, continue our efforts in organizing and educating the the public to let them know that these tactics are happening. And the pipelines, they come and they'll say, oh, well, we're bringing jobs to your community. But they're not real jobs. They're jobs like flaggers and security. We interviewed a security uh, person, and the most they were making were $8 an hour just to guard these pipes that they leave out um, to be, you know, to get weathered on and, you know, these things turn into corrosion. So that's all they're doing, just protecting this property, not really helping the community. And, I mean, it is a, it, it's just how they snow the people. And after the pipeline comes, takes what they need, and they put it in the ground, these people are not thought about again because these people develop the cancers, you know, the air compressor station that this pipeline runs to. They release all these chemicals in the air, carbon, hydrogen. You know, when it becomes combustible and it goes up into the, the atmosphere, it keeps a lot of the heat trapped. Yeah. You know, it keeps a lot trapped down here on the Earth's surface. So that's why it, you know, contributes to the, you know, greenhouse gas effects, constant global warming you know, changing of weather patterns, things like that. So those are some types of things that's been happening that we've been trying to educate the community about. Uh, You touched on uh, a a lot of different things. And and when talking about um, kind of the the private uh, and state surveillance of community members and and, and allies at these actions um, have we seen uh, any uh, activities of of possible private military contractors hired by uh, MVP at this point? Yes, we have. Um, so we've been, I guess, on the radar for so long. And, and I did talk to my elder a couple of years ago, Ms. Donna Chavis. She's my mentor um, because she's paved the way for environmental justice, especially for indigenous communities in North Carolina. And I've asked her, like, you know, is this is this something that you've experienced, and she said she experienced that before. So before my husband and I got married, we, um, you know, were infiltrated by one of the, one of these contractors 
and we believed he worked for Tiger Swan. Matter of fact, he told my husband at the time that he worked for Tiger Swan or, or Blackwater out of Apex. And he infiltrated into our wedding, into our wedding party. And, I mean, he did everything that you can imagine. Like, he tried to get my husband to go to a strip club. He tried to um, get him drunk. Just do a lot of things. Well, my husband, he doesn't do these things like strip clubs and, and drink and right. tried to get him to go to a bachelor party to put him in, like, precarious positions so he could get pictures. And the day of our wedding, he didn't even show up. So I'm just like, this really, you're doing this on the day of our wedding? Like, this is crazy. So co- compromising yeah. him and trying to uh, solicit information out of him. Yep, that's exactly what he was doing. And then recently, after this action we had in D.C., um, we actually had a pipeline worker, well, actually it was six of them, follow us home. And you know what's funny, like now I'm thinking about it, so when we when I purchased these train tickets, I purchased them all together so we could sit together as a group. Mm-hmm. We had two seats, and it was, you know, how the train is set up. is two seats on the right side of the car and two seats on the left. So we had two rows of that, and we purposely sat together. So when we got to the train station, I was like, okay, everybody should be in row 13 and 14. And uh, one of them was like, no, we're like in 15. And I was like, it's so weird, like, why did you get moved to 15? That's, like, crazy. And when we got there, um, uh, one of our young nephews was sitting at the table alone, and um, these pipeline workers were, like, surrounding him. So it was him in one side, another worker beside him, two across of him, and then two in the next aisle. And they were all like, what are you doing? And this, my nephew had an earphone, so he wasn't bothering anybody. He was just drawing and, you know, just minding his own business. And the guy was like, we see you guys having posters and protesting, wearing your T-shirt. And we weren't wearing anything. We were like, how do you know what's going on here? Like, like that's so weird, right? Like, what a weird coincidence. And then my husband, he got pulled into it. And that's when we found out that um, he worked for the pipeline. And, you know, he came up with this crazy story. And then when we were, you know, we were trying to tell him about Enbridge, because that's the pipeline company he was, he claimed to work for. His partner or his woman or whatever she was to him, she, we tried to tell him about human trafficking of women because Enbridge had been caught twice, human trafficking women. And uh, she said, that's a lie. And my husband was like, you can Google it. You don't have to believe me. It is in the news. You can Google it. And after that, my husband was like, we're done here because you, we know what's going to happen. Like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to escalate into something that's going to get us in trouble. And we were like, we, we're not dealing with it. Well, I think you, you touch on, uh, you know, a key point that, you know, in previous shows that Marcus and I have done in covering other, you know, pipeline struggles, whether it be Dakota Access or Keystone XL Pipeline, is that anytime you talk about pipeline struggles or the oil and natural gas industry, uh, you have to talk about missing and murdered indigenous women and, and, and girls. And I'm sure... Uh, that's that's the same thing uh, or the same case uh, out here from West Virginia into the Carolinas that there's a whole network of uh, indigenous women and, and girls that are being you know enslaved if you will into the human trafficking industry and I, I know you've done that done some of this work uh, or done this work in the past and maybe speak to that in relationship to the struggle over the mountain valley pipeline right so i did um i did complete my doctorate at the university of dayton 
And my dissertation was on missing, murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirits in North Carolina in oil and gas pipeline communities. And what I found out over the course of three years is that while our man camps don't look the same as out west with trailers, mm-hmm. what these camps are here are RV or campers in trailer parks like the KOA campgrounds. Mm-hmm. So that's where the transition transient workers go. Sometimes they're in hotels and you can see their, their trucks parked outside. But these workers come here and then, you know, they get whatever they do on Friday night, you know, get drunk or have a good time. They go into these small communities, and these you have to imagine these are rural, mountain, mountainous towns mm-hmm. who um, have a, still a lot of indigenous people still residing there. There's a lot of um, Scotch-Irish people and a lot of uh, African-Americans. And most of these communities intermarried within each other because of colonialism and, and trying to survive. And so you have these small towns who are like 2,500 or less, and then you have these police who don't really have the infrastructure or resources that are needed for all of these assault calls, assault calls or disappearances, rapes, and some, yeah, well, I can't even say murders because I haven't investigated how many murders have happened in mm-hmm. West Virginia, Virginia, and, and North Carolina, but we do know that there have been people that have been missing um, or and cannot be found. And so a lot of these, um, a lot of these these man camps, as you call them, they do exist, and people are so oblivious to it because it doesn't look like what man camps should look like, right? People are looking for trailer parks or trailers on a pipeline site. Well, again, this is very mountainous. So people are going to KOA. So you could be camping right next to someone who is being human trafficked, and they won't even know because these women are often scared. They won't speak out, and they're silent. And You'll see them one time, and then you won't see them anymore. And then, you know, people don't think anything about it. And then you have a lot of the um, religious Anglicization of um, the communities. And so they really do look down on uh, women of color, especially matriarchal indigenous women and poor women. They look down on them. It's like they're causing this upon themselves. And so you really have this stigma going on. And so women really don't want to talk about it. And it, it, they just really have nowhere to turn. Um, again, it's them trying to make money for their family, trying to get out of a really bad economic situation. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service, chair of the NAACP's Environmental Justice Committee, and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. She's speaking on stopping the Mountain Valley Pipeline if constructed. It's a 303-mile natural gas pipeline that would operate from West Virginia into Southern Virginia and potentially North Carolina. And now back to the interview. And people really don't understand what missing murder indigenous women, what it really means. And we've really, yeah, we've really created a movement in the last four and a half years, right around when the pipeline started, to make this aware. Uh, because if you're not on social media, people just don't know what's happening in their communities. And so we've tried to educate and start talking circles about this. So we've, um, we've learned this from a lot of communities out west the Standing Rock community, but um, now, you know, we're trying to adapt it to how it fits us here on the East Coast because we look just a little bit different 
right. and how our tribes are made up are, are very different. You know, because of colonization, our communities have been destroyed, and they've been they've picked up this this crutch to to survive right. and how to adapt to the dominant colonizer way, and it's very hard because now we're seeing the effects of um, drugs, patriarchy. You see a lot of exploitation, yeah. even in the churches, nonprofits, uh, governments. Everything you see it, and it's usually in our in our tribal communities, and a lot of people don't know how to how to step away from that, lay it down, or even how to get out of it because it it was so embedded with Jim Crow laws mm. and the anti-blackness of the 1800s bastardization. I believe you know we we did our uh, pre-talk and we talked about the the westward how our people left and went either up to Baltimore, yeah. Indiana, Michigan, Ohio because they were escaping the oppression here of um, just being American Indian, right? Right. And so, and segregation, too. To, to, yep, segregation. Yep. Well, you, you know, it's uh, it's important because, it, you know, uh, it, like everywhere in different indigenous nations on different places of, of Mother Earth, you know, the histories and the lived experiences of ancestors and, and those folks uh, that are with us today are— you know they're not universally the same, and and they are different. They are regionally, they are locally different, and but you know we're all we're all connected, not only by by place and and land and Mother Earth, but in relationship to, you, you know, sell, forms of settler colonial violence. And so I think that's right. uh, that's so important that um, you know listeners understand the relationship over the struggle of. Of the Mountain Valley Pipeline uh, and how it relates to uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, and and that that sis, that violent system, if you will, is not necessarily the same as as it is in the Midwest or you know in other yep. places on on Mother Earth. And so, so thank you for for sharing that because I, I think that's uh, that's information that not everybody's aware of unless you're someone who does that kind of work. Uh, as, right. a, as an indigenous person or an allied person. So one of the things, we're, you know, we're talking about the Mountain Valley Pipeline, and of course there's all these interconnected issues, but I know in other pipeline struggles, one of the things that we saw corporations do is leverage the state and use eminent domain to take lands um, yeah. from indigenous peoples. And I know like with the oil pipelines like Dakota Access Pipeline and even TransCanada's Keystone XL Pipeline, uh, they went after lands that um, where they could build the junctures of the pipeline because that would be on private property and those are the places where if there are going to be spills or explosion, they tend to occur at those junctures. And and so I was just curious in, in the struggle with MVP, or, or even some of the earlier struggles, like with the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. But um, have we seen uh, this the usage of eminent domain of taking properties from either indigenous or, you know, marginalized or people of color in order for MVP to build this pipeline? Yes, we have. Um, we actually saw it. So on the main line, people have been dealing with this for 10 years now, the eminent domain, but here on the Southgate side, 
what they are doing is um, they're sending out threatening letters. And so uh, Renee, who is uh, my cousin, who lives in Rockingham County, she is Okanichi Saponi. Um, we've seen a lot of these letters go to these people, and they're saying that they need a negotiation, right? It is inedible. You have to sign this document. And they're not really giving these landowners money, right, that's, comp- that's going to compensate them. Mm-hmm. for the time and the tax that they have to continually pay on this. But what we're seeing is, um, you know, they're sending people door knocking, harassing you, intimidating you, sending you letters, constantly hounding you. Um, and then they're not, like, they'll, they'll tell one person, don't tell the next person what we're giving you. So they're giving people different property so they can't get, so they can't, like, gang up. And then they put, like, this, I guess it's not a moratorium, but they put a clause in it to where you can't talk oh, about NDA? it. NDA? Um, NDA? Yeah, NDA. That you, yeah, you can't talk about what you've been given or offered. And what they usually do is most of these people, most of the people are elderly. So one neighbor we know, her husband passed away during this process, and he wasn't even in the ground six weeks. And they went and just started hounding her, and they only gave her $3,000 for her wow. piece. And just the property, and just an acre in North Carolina, a land, land goes for $12,000 right. an acre. But it also kind of ties back to, I, I kind of want to go back to this mm-hmm. land issue, is in North Carolina, it wasn't until 1912 that deeds actually came about. So anybody who's had property in their name since 1912, you know, they got that through the state of North Carolina. I guess, you know, they started doing the land deeds. But before that, we would see counties, just kind of taking land from the indigenous people, right? right? Like here in Alamance County, there's this mountain called Bass Mountain. And it was a lot of the Bass family from this area, Chatham County and Alamance County, who are Sisipaha or other tribes like um, the Okanese. My tribe did absorb the some of the, the Sisipaha people, but the, I believe they're uh, Shikori, mm-hmm. uh, some Eno mm-hmm. people. And they just outright take the land, right? Like just take it right because they can and that's that's what we're seeing again now the fa- the land that's been in my family that i live on currently has been in my family for over 300 years and it's because our people have been here since the 17 like late 1700s and you know that was the final time that we just we didn't move back and forth from clarksville virginia fort chrysana you know we just eventually moved down because of the hostileness from the settlers, um, you know, we just kept our head down. You know, we lived right beside a Scotch-Irish community. You know, we just kept to ourselves until, like, the 1960s when um, desegregation started to happen, and we were forced to go into um, – first, we were forced to go into an African-American yeah. school, and then we were forced to go into the white school where you put all of the cultures together. And that was very shocking and traumatic to our people, especially our indigenous people, because one, these just imagine teenagers now. So imagine the teen what teenagers are going through now with their all their social ills. Just imagine going through it with right. race, right? And now you're being put together with people from all different backgrounds, and they look different. And you know, children can be mean to each other and be like, "Your hair doesn't go. Right. It doesn't." The one of the saying was, "Um, yeah, Indians are dirty." And so I know that was the thing my grandma she would always say I don't want to be a dirty Indian we're not talking about it so we never talked about we were indigenous outside the family right right? we never went out in public because one we had the clan here we lived 
12 miles from Pelham, which is still a very strong clan home. We had clan burning, cross burnings in our yards all the time. And my mom, she remembers that from the 1950s. She was five. And uh, when they burned a cross in the yard, and my mom is terrified of of us standing up now. Of I ran for office just, you know, four or five months mm-hmm. ago. She was afraid for me to run for Congress, just afraid for me speaking out because she knows how still Jim Crow it is. Even though people are like, oh, it's but no, it's not. It's it's just hidden, or actually, it's actually it's not hidden. It's in your face, yep. right? How people come after you now for for changing, right? Just for trying to make things better. Even as little as we just want to protect the our river, right? We want to we well, I don't eat the fish in the river because it's really toxic. But you know, we want to be able to get back to hunting and fishing and healing it, but. These people are like, oh, today somebody told me we don't need people, we don't need uh, animals and trees. And I'm just like, dude, what are you going to eat? Right. You know, like, what's wrong with you? Like, they, she was like, we need pipelines and fossil fuels. Are you kidding, lady? What is wrong with you? I was just like, we, we just experienced so much, so much ignorance. You know, people don't understand that history and and the lived experiences of the past and the present. So, you know, coming back to MVP operatives, if you will, and pressuring and leveraging indigenous peoples, um, you know, and African-American families and, you know, in order to uh, get the land, to get title to the land so they can build the pipeline. I think, uh, you know, one of the key points that you touched on right away was that, you know, for a lot of indigenous families that had the have the good fortune to be property owners, that land has been passed down from generation to generation within those native families. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when uh, Mountain Valley Pipeline is coming in and and uh, terrorizing and pressuring, uh, you know, families to divest to sell off their land you know you're talking about being uh, giving up generations of a family land that you as indigenous peoples have a direct relationship with and and that land defines who you are it does and you know what that's what we're trying to explain and i, I get sad when i think about this because one i see it in all the tribal communities all across north carolina um I see a disconnect between the what our grandparents and great-grandparents worked so hard for, mm-hmm. right? Like the Henry Barry Lowry's and the, um, like my great-grandfather, Anderson Corn. they worked so hard to get this land to, you know, protect the next seven generations that I see these young generations who are in their 30s right now who do not have a, a connection to the land, right? They're so all about being Indian just in name only. And it's more than that. I was um, reading Professor Larry Tavis. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know him, but he's the be at uh-huh. Chapel Hill. He wrote, um, he had a Facebook post that said, you know, when I was growing up, he had on some regalia, and he was like, I didn't understand then that it was more to being Lumbee than just dressing up. And he actually gets it. Like, I am at that point. It is more to being Native American, indigenous, you know, Okanichi, than just saying it in name only. It is our tie to the land. And when the land starts to die, our people will start to die. And I'm trying to get this generation of 28 to 
40 to understand that it's more than purchasing or getting a million dollar settlement from the pipeline company. It is about your legacy because you're, you're selling out your land, you're selling out your people, and eventually you're not going to have a tie to the land because it's going to be so dirty, so polluted, that it's going to just start dying. And when the land starts to die, we will die. And so I'm trying to get people to understand that in North Carolina, but it's, um, and I get it, right, because it's a scarcity mentality, right? Because we were so poor, we were so forced to acculturate. We didn't have anything. All we had was the land. I think my grandparents, they would call it like land poor, right? You you got this land, all these acres of land, but you, you don't have money. You don't have generational wealth. And, you know, I started seeing it growing up. Like we had, you know, my grandma, she had like 100 acres of land and she sold it off. And I'm just like, oh, grandma, why'd you do that? Like, you know, we sh- we worked hard for this land, and, you know, I was just a-, a kid at the time. I couldn't tell my elder not to do it. And and now you see it just piece by piece. And now I see our community where we live, they're slowly dividing it up. And, you know, investors are coming in here. There's people moving from out west because it's so toxic out west. Like, all these fires, they want to escape the fires and the droughts and the air pollution. And they're coming here to North Carolina where it's green and pristine. And they want to live here because it's so clean. But, again, we we have to protect it. And, you know, the Mountain Valley is going to kill it. And so that's what we're trying to help people understand. Like, we have to protect it. And you're listening to American Indian Airwaves. We're speaking with Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service, chair of the NAACP's Environmental Justice Committee, and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. She's speaking on stopping the Mountain Valley Pipeline if constructed. It's a 303-mile natural gas pipeline that would operate from West Virginia into Southern Virginia and potentially North Carolina. And now back to the interview. One of the things with Mountain Valley Pipeline LLC, you know, they uh, they keep stating that they're what ninety five percent completed with the project, but in reality, it's about fifty five percent. And you mentioned the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission um, earlier, and I was wondering if you could speak to their most recent action on August twenty third of, of this year. They actually granted oh. an extension to yep. MVP to to build yep. the pipeline was, to 2026. Yeah, I was devastated. So before all of this happened, our final action, because I'm telling you, this was the nail in the coffin in July. You know, I had said, oh, it looks like the MVP is going to finally be dead. I, I feel that their investors are going to pull out because, you know, we're, we have all of these legal battles, you know, you know, they got shut down in the beginning of the year about the Endangered Species Act, not going through the Jefferson National Forest. And then, you know, you have to get permits. So their permit expired. So we had 31,000 comments that said, you do not need to extend the MVP's uh, permit. And this is the reason why. And they were like legitimate reasons, not like, oh, we don't want it, you know, this and that. Legitimate reasons why, like, it's going through underground springs, it's going through cars. It's going to have uh, uh, trepidation and sediment in people's well waters. You know, scientific reasons why this pipeline is not good, why we do not need to waste millions of clean water to get, you know, fracked water, yeah. you know, 
August 23rd came out and they want to extend. They they approved it to extend it four more years because I'm going to go ahead and tell you on this whole entire journey that I've been on this Mountain Valley Pipeline journey, I found out that there's a rotation of corporate executives from pipeline, oil and gas pipelines in and out of FERC. So they go to FERC, they learn the rules of how to get their pipeline pushed through, loophole through, and then they'll retire or quit their job at FERC, and then they'll go work at the pipeline. Mm. And it is a rotation of that. So, again, to me, I think all, all government is corrupt because it is like who you can buy out, who you can pay. And, you know, I used to work for the federal government. I used to work for Homeland Security. I had a top-secret clearance. And, you know, we had to go through background checks, and we had to make sure we couldn't get bribed or bought out or blackmailed or any of those things, right? Why do they not make these government officials go through that same rigorous process of being um, blackmailed, bought out, any type of this? Because you're dealing with human lives, right? You're dealing with people. Anybody who can be bought and paid off, they don't need a government job. They, they shouldn't even be in that position. It is a conflict of interest. And they should look and they should go back and look like, oh, did this person at first used to work at the oil pipeline? Well, that's a conflict of interest. They don't need to work here. Again, it is upon us. Like President Biden, he needs to overhaul his uh, his entire cabinet because he's employing people to be on these commissions who are just passing the buck. Like, is he really any different than President Trump? Because to me, it looks like he's just stacking the deck um, or status quo. Like he goes and campaigns about how he's going to help environmental justice communities when he's just really be like, oh, I'm going to put my boy over here, and these little people right here, don't mind them. They're just the GS-12 workers who are going to be looking to get their paychecks right and fat bank accounts, but they're going to quit and go work for this oil and gas pipeline because they know the right words. That, that, is, that is horrible, and I just I, I still can't get over this how government works. Like, yeah, we, we just can't say enough about it, and I really think people need to hear this. They need to know. This is how government works. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I go missing or murdered, you know, it's somebody from the pipeline that has come and got me. So you, you tell people that if, I, if you don't hear from me anymore, the pipeline people have come and got me. Well, uh, uh, just to kind of play off of what you just said, um, President Biden uh, announced right his senior clean energy and climate team. And he appointed um, John Podesta to serve as the senior advisor. And John mm-hmm. Podesta, during the Obama administration, and I believe even going back to uh, the Clinton White House, White House actually stumped for natural gas, yeah. and so um, so kind of that revolving door. And then also part of that revolving door, and correct me if I'm wrong, if I understand correctly, is that the Mountain Valley Pipeline developers have actually amassed more than 300 violations of environmental laws and often you know, often exactly. with the quote-unquote blessing of the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Yep, three, over 300 violations of water, water quality violations. Mm. Well, you know, one of the, um, what do they say? They say with the pipeline, there's, uh, there has, uh, there's more than 600 different water crossings left. Um, 
that need to be addressed. And I know uh, coming back yeah. to Joe Manchin, right, because there's so much media attention on him within, you know, the Democratic Party and, and you know, the insertion of the rider as part of the IRA that will streamline uh, the permitting process, which includes the Mountain Valley Pipeline, that um, an organization called the Oil Change International, they just published a report titled Why Everything mm-hmm. Manchin Says About the Mountain Valley Pipeline is Wrong. And I was wondering if you had a chance mm-hmm. to look at that and maybe comment on that. I haven't had a chance to look at it okay. yet. Um, I have a, um, we have a, actually, we're trying to um, organize for another action coming up this month in D.C. because we want to keep it right. fresh in our uh, legislators' mind about the right decision that they need to make on behalf of the American public. So I do have just a few minutes left, but I will read that report and get back to you Well, on thank it. you for that. So uh, just given the time constraints, let's um, uh, come back to... Uh, for our listeners, right? Um, you know, they, they, they have been listening to, uh, to you talk about the struggle over the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And, you know, this is connected to other, you know, struggles. Like we've talked about the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. It was even the East Penn Pipeline. And, you know, even Mountain Valley Pipeline would have connected to the, AC, the Atlantic Coast Pipeline had it materialized. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all these... Uh, there's over two and a half million miles of oil and natural gas pipelines, you know, throughout Mother Earth within the politically defined borders of the United States. Um, you know, there is uh, the issue of coal ash and the contamination of all these waterways throughout the Carolinas and Virginia areas, right? The logging industries and um, the mass production of pelts that get shipped off to to European mm-hmm. countries for their to warm their homes, and you know the swine yep. poultry industries. You know the 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 list goes on, and all these different industries that contribute to exacerbating all these problems that we've been talking about regarding the struggle over the Mountain Valley Pipeline. And that being said, for our listeners here in Southern California and listeners on the internet, um, wherever they may be listening on Mother Earth, what would you like people to do? How can they help in stopping the Mountain Valley Pipeline? So they can help stop the Mountain Valley Pipeline and other environmental projects or degradation in their communities by one calling their senators and their house of representatives in congress and tell them to vote no you know pull out the side deal from the continuing resolution because joe manchin wants to attach it to some type of money bill whether it's a continuing resolution to fund the government september 30th or the national defense authorization act because he knows that if he attaches it to one Nobody wants to shut the government down because that's how things are funded. Or two, nobody's not going to vote to keep the military going, right? So he knows the rules and how to get things passed. So we want their senator or their House of Representatives to pull out this side deal to have it to be a separate bill from any of the money bills. Or two, you know, be bold and call Joe Manchin's bluff because he said if he didn't get his way, he'd shut the government down. I say call his bluff, shut the government down. Mm. 
And for listeners that want to learn more about the struggle uh, over the Mountain Valley Pipeline and and the work that you're doing with the the organization and allied organizations, do you want to provide any uh, websites uh, or any places where uh, listeners can go to to learn more? Sure. So it's um, seven directions of service dot mm-hmm. com, and it's the number seven. So just the numeral seven. And then directionsofservice.com, and you can find us on the website. We have a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So you can reach us out on any of those uh, platforms, and you can reach Jason and myself. We're a very small, indigenous-led grassroots organization. We do have a fellow. Her name is Casey, and that is the extent of our um, team. We do have a, a, a whole lot of great volunteers that um, support a lot of community work. We do a lot of community um, events to try to uplift and build our community up because, again, we want to use the Indigenous Values framework of working together and build communities and build it stronger. Um, We're trying to increase the youth movement because we do feel that is where change will happen is in the young. The moment of silence is over. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. We were speaking with Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck, co-founder of the Seven Directions of Service, chair of the NAACP's Environmental Justice Committee, and a member of the Okanichi Band of the Saponi Nation. She's speaking on stopping the 303-mile Mountain Valley Pipeline if constructed, would run from West Virginia into South Virginia and possibly North Carolina, destroying sacred sites and parts of Mother Earth. And that concludes our show for today here on American Indian Airwaves. A special thank you to our guest, Dr. Crystal Cavalier-Keck. A special thank you to our musical guest, Aragon star, Koopa Aina, and the band Blackfire. American Indian Airwaves is mixed and mastered in the studios of Burnt Swamp Studios in Signal Hill, California. For Marcus Lopez, I've been your host for the hour, Larry Smith. Until next time. comes clean from the guilty minds, nor the hands that hold the chains. Silence is over.